Hey, welcome to Home Church Podcast. It is a good day to have a good day. I'm Pastor Jerry Kuhn, and I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. My hope is that you will respond to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you in and through this message today. And I believe that he will draw you into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, where you are passionate about loving God, doing good, and being a friend. I hope that you enjoy the message today. Some of you are like, oh, not at all. Um, I hope that you have um, your presents bought. I hope that they're wrapped. I hope that they may be under your Christmas tree. I hope that you are ready for sept- uh, December, I was going to say September, December the 25th. That is coming up. That is on Saturday. And uh, so if you didn't know that, um, Saturday is coming up really quick. And so this is the Sunday before uh, Christmas. And so we want to make sure that we said happy uh, Merry Christmas to you guys. We hope that from us to you, uh, that you recognize and realize that, um, that Christmas season is what it's about. And, uh, and that we are, we want to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We want to celebrate what, uh, how much God loved you and I. Uh, we want to celebrate together as a home, as family. And so we say Merry Christmas to us, to our family, to your family. Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. Uh, we don't say holidays. We say Christmas. It is about the birth of Jesus. And so we are so thankful. I hope that you spent the whole week um, sharing your joy. I hope that you spent all week enjoying your joy. And I hope that you, you went all week sharing your joy as well. And I pray that somewhere throughout the week you said, you know what, I'm going to protect my joy. So not only am I going to enjoy it, I'm going to share it, but I'm also going to protect it. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time of studying in God's Word. I'm going to do a little bit of time of listening to gospel music as I'm traveling from point A to point B. I'm going to protect my joy this week because I realize that the devil wants nothing less than your joy. He wants to take it away from you. He wants to take what's inside of you. Now, I told you that joy was more than just a feeling. It was it's, it's not an emotion. So let's go back and make sure that you understand that joy that we're talking about, that unspeakable joy, is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's greater than that. It's the understanding that God has everything under control. It's the fruit of the Spirit that lives inside of you because you've asked Jesus to come into your life. And when Jesus comes into your life, all of a sudden you begin to produce these fruits of the Spirit. And joy is definitely one of those. And, uh, and so I pray that this week, this week was one of those weeks you're like, you know what? I walked around with a smile from one ear to, to the other. And I, people would ask me, hey, what are you so happy about? Why are you so joyous? You're like, I don't know. Besides, man, life is good. God is good. And I pray that you had that kind of week. I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 2. This is where we kind of felt, uh, found our, uh, our um, text for our series of joy to the world. And, and I pray that the world realizes uh, that God has given us joy, that God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. And I pray that during this season, in such a, uh, a world of chaos, uh, in a world of turmoil, in a world of division, I pray that our world, I pray that our society, I pray that uh, this culture and all these generations, I pray that they realize that there is still joy that has been given to this world. Um, and so Luke chapter 2, we talked about these shepherds out in the field. And I said, if we all just take a moment and take a glimpse of this story of, of these shepherds out in the field tending to the sheep. And, and all of a sudden, a moment happened where an angel shows up and, and, this, and they were bright. And it, 
obviously brought fear into their life for whatever reason. Um, and the reason why I know it brought fear is because an angel had to tell them not to be afraid. Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 10 and 11 says this, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I, I love it how the angel begins to say, listen, I have bring you good news. And that news is that there is joy that has been given to all the world. Uh, not just to the Jerry's, not just to the Daniels, not just to, to all people, uh, to the whole world. Joy to the world. And uh, he says, I bring you good tidings. I don't want you to be afraid. Don't let this moment afraid uh, give you fear. Uh, how many of you guys have ever had a moment, maybe truly in an encounter with God that you, you stood back for a moment because you were f- afraid, but you never experienced what you were experiencing. You're like a little afraid in the moment that you heard God speak to you and say, don't be afraid. This is me. Um, and that's what happened in that moment with the shepherds. He was like, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That's for all people. And I love how he begins to state, for unto you, this is the joy. And this is what we were trying to bring across to you, that the joy was the son of Jesus. He said, listen, I bring you great news of great joy. And that joy is that for you today is born in the city of David, a savior, and his name is Christ Jesus. I, I love the fact that all of a sudden the angel makes sure the shepherds understood that the joy was not a feeling. It wasn't an emotion. It was the fact that Jesus was brought to this world for you and I to make us understand that in the deepest, hardest, greatest moments of our life, everything was going to be all right. The Bible says that, the, that they say that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And I am so thankful today that God is with us. He is in us. He is always with us. And he says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Real joy is more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. It's the assurance that in the understanding. Make sure you, you realize that if you're taking notes. It's more than just the assurance. It's the understanding the fact that every, no matter what I face, no matter what I'm going through, that everything was going to be all right. And this is produced by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and I. That's where joy really comes from. It's the understanding and it's the assurance everything is going to be all right for every... And we talked about this last week. We talked about this in part one of unspeakable joy. We said that with every uh, godly attribute, with every fruit of the Spirit, there is a false or an Im- imitation that the world gives us of emotion and feelings. For instance, that God gives us godly sorrow, but the world also gives us sorrow. All of us in this room, we'd be crazy to say that we haven't experienced sorrow. We have experienced worldly sorrow. We've lost people. Um, We've lost things. We've experienced sorrow. But we've all in this room, perhaps, I hope, have experienced godly sorrow. In that moment where you are sorry for the things that you did against God and you say, God, forgive me. I never want to do that again. And you repent of your sin. That's the godly sorrow that we're talking about. You see, there's peace and there's joy and there's love. All these things this morning that the world can give you. The world can give you peace. It also give you a little bit of joy. Uh, and, and, and it gives you a little bit of love. But it's, there's nothing that compares to the things that God gives us. The love that God gives us. The joy that God gives us. The peace that God gives us. The world cannot compare to those things. And I'm thankful today um, that I have experienced the things that God can give me uh, through His Spirit. And so I want to I speak to you today. I want to speak to you today on this part. This is uh, part number two of our series, Joy to the World. And it's Rejected Joy. 
I, I talked, we spent 45 minutes last week talking about this unspeakable joy, how it's unreal what God can do inside of us, how you can go through the greatest, the toughest, the roughest uh, patch of your life and still have an understanding and assurance that everything's going to be all right, that God has your back, that he's never going to leave you, that he's never going to forsake you. And in the moments that you feel like you're the most depressed, all of a sudden something inside of you rises up. It's called God's spirit, and all of a sudden the depression goes away. Why? Because you know everything's going to be all right. It's in those moments that I'm thankful for the joy that God gives us. And I wonder today, how can someone re reject that kind of joy? How can this world, how can this world reject such peace and love that comes from the Father? How could you fathom the moment that you walk away from something that is unexplainable, something that is indescribable, and something that gives you so much inner peace and joy? How could you walk away? How could you actually reject that? It's kind of like me saying, hey, listen, I got a check for a million dollars. I'm going to give it to you, Leroy. And Leroy is like, I don't want it. I'm like, what? <laughs> His wife like, I'll spin it for him. Um, absolutely. It wasn't given to you. It was given to Leroy, all right? And Leroy said no, all right? So he rejected my check for a million dollars, all right? Um, she promised to be good today. She's already broke her promise. My goodness, all right? So, um, but if I, if I, that's unbelievable. We're like, I cannot believe it. I got to stop right there because his husband, her husband said this to, to me. He said, do not mess with her. Because I have spent so many years with her, I know that she will get even. So I'm trying to be good um, because she'll get back at me. Here's the thing. I, I don't understand why someone could reject that. A check for a million dollars. How could you reject that? That's crazy, isn't it? And all of us were like, I would like to have a check for a million dollars. And, and, and in comparison to what God gives us, the joy that God truly gives you and I, I'm like, I don't understand. How can someone actually walk away from that? How can someone turn their back on that? How can someone not want to accept um, the joy that God gives you and I today? And, uh, and so I want to finish up this series. It was just a simple mini-series of two parts, and, and I want to finish this up. Christmas is on the way, all right? That is this weekend, reminding you guys on Saturday, all right? Christmas is coming. Santa is on the way, for those who may celebrate that. For those who do not, I'm sorry, um, all right? And so uh, not to mess that up for you guys. But I'm going to take a snapshot, all right? So we know uh, today I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 this morning. And I want to look at another snapshot. We talked about the shepherds. Now we're going to look at another uh, area or snapshot of the Christmas story. You can go to Luke. Um, hopefully you'll take the time this weekend and sit down with your children and read the Christmas story uh, in Luke and, and, and from beginning to end. And what a beautiful uh, story that Luke gives us about the Christmas story. And uh, I hope that you do that every year, but especially this year as we're coming in uh, to our Christmas season. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says this. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to, uh, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration uh, when Quirinius was governor of Sierra, uh, Syria. Um, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, uh, um, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. I'm going to read verse 7 again. Let's go back to verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her, for Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes 
and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity that you have given me. I've been asked many times, are you afraid when you preach? Yeah, I get nervous. I get nervous because, Father, I'm speaking your word. And so, Father, today I pray, Lord, that you put me aside. And, God, that you speak through me. And, God, that you would have your way today. And I pray, Lord, that you anoint the ears and the hearts of your people to receive your word. But not only just receive it, but to apply it to their lives. And, God, let us not be a part of the world that rejects you. Let us not be a part of the, the world that says there's no room in our life. God, let us not be a part of that world. But, God, let us accept the unspeakable joy that you give us. And, God, let us live life with the assurance and the understanding that everything is going to be all right. We give you glory. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. Have you ever stopped and pondered? I mean, really, you read the Christmas story, and all of us, I look around, we are um, all at least above 20 years old, all right? And there's some of our students in here that are not, um, and they're teenagers, but most of us are above 20 years old. Um, and we've heard the Christmas story many times in our life. And uh, some of us hear it multiple times throughout the year. Uh, but especially around Christmas time, you, all of us here, and see the Christmas story. And have you ever stopped and wondered what the perspectives of all the players in the, in the story? I mean, have you ever wondered what it was like to look at, at the Christmas story from Mary's and Joseph's um, viewpoint? I mean, we read it, right? We read the story, and we, we can see the whole picture because we get to read the whole story. But Mary and Joseph, they wasn't reading the story while it was playing out in their life, man. It was playing out right there before them. And they didn't know what tomorrow was going to look like. Joseph did, did not know how his family was going to handle the news. Mary did not know how her family was going to handle the news. They didn't have a clue of how it was going to go down. And I could just for a moment step back and put myself in those shoes and go, I wonder what Mary thought. I wonder today what Joseph thought about the whole thing. I mean, Mary probably stood back and said, uh, the angel said I was favored. I don't think I, I don't feel favored. <laughs> I don't feel favored at all. Nine months of carrying a child don't seem to be favored. And all the women in the building say, amen. All right? Uh, I, I don't feel favored because of what everybody's going to be thinking about me and what everybody's going to say about me. I don't feel favored in this situation. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what Joseph was thinking. I mean, how do I believe her? How do I believe the angel? I mean, listen, I know we've all said it, and I got in trouble from my wife for saying, uh, especially Tatum looks just like my wife, Jackson looks just like me, and JC is a mixture of both my wife and I. And I made the, the worst mistake by saying that she was the milkman's. Don't ever say that ever in the world, all right? My wife, like, I know that she was not the milkman's, all right? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. But can you imagine what Joseph was going through? You're like, why did you tell that story? <laughs> Joseph was like, man, I mean, you're trying to tell me that this is not my child. It's no one else's child. It's God's child. Oh. I mean, have you ever stopped and thought about Joseph's parents and Mary's parents? Have you ever just stopped and looked at the story and go, I wonder what they were thinking during this situation? Have you thought about the shepherds? I mean, we talked about it last week, and the shepherds out in the field just tending to the flock, and all of a sudden, the angel brings them great news of great joy. Um, have you ever thought about that moment in their life and that perspective? How about the wise men? Um, I know we talk about three wise men, but the truth is we don't know how many wise men showed up that day. We just know that there were three gifts. That blows some of your mind like, whoa, there wasn't three wise men? Um, probably not. There probably was a quite few more than three. Uh, we just know that they brought three gifts. But my question is today, have you ever stopped and looked at the whole story? Like, hey, how about the wise men? 
You know, the wise men that was told by King Herod to come back and give me the news of where the baby really was so that I can come and worship him? I mean, how did they think when they were giving uh, a vision and the Lord tells them to go a different direction? Don't go back the way you came. Man, what an amazing opportunity to step yourself into those shoes and say, wow, how bold it was to not go back but to trust the Lord in that dream. And perhaps maybe it was Zacharias and Elizabeth. Maybe it was Simeon and Anna. Maybe it was um, you put yourself in in those shoes and think about how long that Simeon waited to to see the Christ child, how long he was waited to to perform um, in the temple and bless the child, how long he waited. Um, maybe perhaps today, have you ever thought about the innkeeper? Boy, don't they, doesn't the the innkeeper get a lot of um, flack? I mean, doesn't he? I mean, we all don't even like the innkeeper. We never met the innkeeper like, oh, I can't believe you turned away Jesus. I mean, the son of God, how could you do that? You're going to go to hell. I mean, obviously, buddy, how do you do that? But see, for you and I, we see the story, right? We knew that it was Christ, the Christ, but he didn't. And so, man, we are throwing a lot of stones at a man that didn't see the whole picture um, and did not know what was going on in that moment, truly in that moment. But have you ever stopped and looked at that perspective? And so this morning, maybe we will. Maybe we'll stop and, and, and put ourselves in the innkeeper's um, shoes and say, hey, listen, let's look at it from that moment. And, and I was thinking this moment in, that, in the scripture, we find that in the story, it says that the innkeeper says, hey, I'm so sorry, there is no room here for you. Mary and Joseph, Mary's about to have a child. She is right there. Her water's broke. Ah, we got to find a place, please. I'm sorry, we have no room for you. And the innkeeper had to be the one that said, there's no room for you. And I thought about it for a moment. Perhaps those, those words, there's no room here in the inn, was a foreshadowing for what we are seeing today in 2021. Could it be that the words, there is no room, was the moment that Christ was rejected in that moment in life? That now we see in 2020, across our world, Christ being rejected, the joy that we talked about that's unspeakable, it being rejected every day of our lives. It was almost like the innkeeper saying, there is no room. I am so sorry. I know that you're, you need a place for this child to be delivered, but I'm sorry there was no room. It's obvious that you're pregnant. It's obvious that you're about to deliver, but I'm so sorry there is no room here. It's obviously you have great joy and joy unspeakable. You can't explain it, how that top rotates around and your life is so hunky-dory and you are so happy. And God has given you such great joy, but I don't want it. I have no need of it. I don't understand how people can reject that, but maybe this morning we could just take a look at Mark chapter 12. Maybe from the very get-go, Christ was to be rejected. Maybe from the very get-go, from the moment that God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, in that moment, God knew that his son was going to be rejected. Mark chapter 12, verse 10 says this. It says, have you not read the scriptures? This is Jesus, the stone that the builder rejected. This is Jesus being rejected. The builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 34 says this. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. I mean, listen, everybody wanted to see him. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave. All of a sudden, in this moment, everybody wanted to come out and see him. And in this moment, they said, you're rejected. And they rejected Jesus in this moment. Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, it says, And Jesus said to them once again, He said, Have you not read the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected? It was the moment that prophecy is becoming reality is what he's saying. 
Have you not read this? Have you, has it not been foretold? And so it has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And Jesus, I, mean, I love it because he was like, hey, listen, this, is, this was already foretold. This was prophesied. It's happening. And man, this is marvelous because God has put that, that top into spin and he's, he's orchestrating everything. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Maybe, just maybe, from the very get-go, Christ was to be rejected. Maybe joy was to be rejected. Mark chapter 6, verse 3 says this. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Moses and Judas and Simeon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They once again, rejected his ministry in his own hometown. Luke chapter 4, verse 28 says, And when they heard these things, and all the synagogue was filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him into the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. They were so mad and angry, and they rejected that great joy. They rejected Jesus. Luke chapter 17, verse 25 says this, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Listen for a moment, Jesus speaking. He knew that from the very beginning, he was going to be rejected. He said, but first, he must suffer. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's talking about how things are going to play out, how things are about to happen. And he said, but I must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Luke chapter 23, verse 18 says, but they all crowd cried out together away with this man and released to us Barabbas you know what's crazy about this story in this moment where this is being said is that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem they are they are hailing his praises they're singing praises Hosanna Hosanna uh, and they are so excited for him to come into town and then all of a sudden something changes so quickly and they begin to cry out crucify him crucify him crucify you know how that's so crazy for us too how so quickly we can change, how quickly we can reject, how quickly when the things doesn't go the way we want to, we reject it. Oh, God, I love you, I love you, I love you. Oh, I don't like that. No, I don't want nothing to do with that, God. God, help us not to reject great joy. Help us not to reject that. Luke, John chapter uh, 1, verse 11 says this, and, and this is sad. Uh, he said he came to his own people, and his own people rejected him or did not receive him. He came to his own family, his own town, people that saw him grow up, and they didn't receive him. I remember saying this, and listen, I, all, most of you may know this is where I grew up. This is, this is my home. I grew up in Tecumseh. And I remember people saying, well, wouldn't it be hard for you to minister in your own town? I mean, Jesus couldn't even minister in his own town. Jesus wasn't received by his own people. And I, and I always made this, this comparison. I said, but you have to understand, Jesus never had a past. <laughs> he was always perfect. You got to hear me out. Jesus didn't have a past. He was always, he was the perfect lamb. Man, I, I'll tell you, I'll be the first to tell you. There are people in this room that will say, I remember him when he was a kid. I went to school with him. And I know that when he got in sixth grade, he, he changed. He was saved in sixth grade. Because in fifth grade, fourth grade, third grade, second grade, you didn't like the kid. I mean, in my second grade and at Bernard, I remember going uh, to the principal, and I remember Miss Bingham giving me swats. I remember very clearly every day at the beginning of school, after I got off the bus, into her office, and 
and uh, Mrs. Phelps would give me, you, know, you was not there, never mind, let's don't go there. Mrs. Bingham would give me swats because I had not accepted Jesus. So I always said, you know what? People know that I've changed. My life is not the same. And so, yeah, I believe that I can minister in Tecumseh because people see the change that God has done within me. So maybe, just maybe today, Jesus was always to be rejected. Here we are in 2021, and we're still rejecting Jesus. We're here in 2021, and joy is still being rejected. Um, throughout life, the life of Christ, we find that the world had a hard time of accepting him as God's son, as, God's, as the Messiah. I told you that the world at that time, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, they were religious people. They believed in God. They just had a hard time accepting Jesus to be the Messiah. So get that for a moment. They believed in God. They just had a hard time accept, accepting Jesus as the Messiah. And still today, I believe that the world struggles of embracing this truth. The world still today struggles and rejects the joy that God has to give to you and I, which is so freely given. God gives it freely. But the question is today is this. Here's the question as we move into only two, two points this morning. And you're like, woo, woo, two points. But the question is today, is it possible after hearing everything about the unspeakable joy that we still in 2021 be rejecting the joy that God has given us? Have you ever thought about you and I today? I mean, I know that I'm not going to assume that everybody in this building are believers because my pastor has always told me never to assume that. Don't get into a, into a building. Don't, don't ever get behind a pulpit assuming that everybody's a believer because you'll miss the mark. Just preach God's word. So I, I'm not assuming that everyone in here is a believer. But listen, so for those who are, those who've accepted Jesus and you're walking it out, could it be that you and I in areas of our life could reject the joy too? Could you and I at times reject what Jesus perhaps represents and what he is for you and I? Perhaps. Let's look at it. Here's the first one today. Because I believe that rejecting joy implies that one is satisfied. You should see on the screen, satisfied. Satisfied with their life. I think that you and I today, we can get to a point, to a plateau in our life, that we just become satisfied, content. Everything's great. I like it the way it is. No changes. Some of you, um, not like me, not like my wife, some of you can put furniture in your living room and it stay like that for 25 years and it doesn't ever move. You're like, I'm satisfied with the way my stuff is, the way it is. Ryan's shaking his head. He's like, yes, I like my chair right where it is and don't move it. Uh, I like it now and I like it 25 years from now right there. But some of you maybe change your um, furniture every week or every month because you like the change. You love it. And some of us, we just get satisfied with life. We really do. We get to a point where we're satisfied with our relationship that we don't, we don't want to grow. We don't want to go from glory to glory. We don't, we don't want to be challenged. We, we don't want to accept the things that the Spirit is trying to tell us to help us, to improve us. And we just become simply satisfied with the status quo of our life. We're okay. I don't need any more of Jesus. I don't really want any more of Jesus. I really don't want to change in this area. I'm just absolutely satisfied. And I told you last week, and I'll remind you again, that the joy that comes from the Lord, it's not an emotion, it's not in a feeling, but it does affect our feelings. I want you to hear me out this morning. The joy of the Lord is not a feeling. 
It's not even emotion. Remember I told you it was the assurance and the understanding that everything is going to be all right. That God has us. It comes from being a, a fruit of the Spirit. But I, I'm telling you that it affects your emotions. The joy of the Lord does. I, I told you earlier today, there's moments that some of us may wake up and we feel depressed. We feel down. We feel, uh, we feel alone. And we find that all of a sudden, the Spirit of God begins, this fruit of joy begins to perk up in our life. And it says, hey, oh, you're not alone because he's Emmanuel, God with us. He'll never leave you. It's that moment of our life that all of a sudden we, we feel that hell is, is uh, attacking our life from every angle and every corner, and we feel overwhelmed. And then all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord, the joy inside of us reminds us, no, 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 no. When the, when the enemy comes in as a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will hold a standard against it. It's that moment that we have joy again. It affects our feelings. It affects our emotions. We begin to have a little happiness in our lives. We put a smile on our face because the joy of the Lord does affect our feelings. It does affect our emotions. And that's awesome. It's not an emotion, but it affects our emotions. It affects how we see life and how we feel and how we move throughout life um, as well. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't, listen, I told you earlier, I don't get how one could reject joy. The, the joy that changes how we see life. The joy that, that changes how we live life, the, the joy that changes our life entirely. I don't get how someone could reject that unless they're absolutely satisfied with their life and they're perhaps convinced that nothing ever will change. Have you ever met someone that was at their lowest of their life and they're like, man, I'm just, this is the way life is going to always be? Nothing's ever going to change in my life. I'm always, I, I met a kid one time that says, listen, I'm going to be a loser. My dad was a loser. I'm going to be a loser. My dad's dad was a loser. I'm going to be a loser. I sat in the living room one time of, a, of a, an aunt and a, and, a, and a nephew, and the aunt looks, just looked at the nephew and said, you're just going to be just like your father. And guess what he thought? I'm going to be just like my father, a father who made poor choices in life. Like, you're just going to be just like your father. And, and, and all of a sudden, he, got, he became satisfied. This is the status quo. This is the way life is going to be. This is the way life is going to play out. There's no, no hope for me. Nothing's ever going to change. And I think you and I today, if we're not careful, we get to that moment in our lives where we're like, hey, listen, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's always going to be. And I'm satisfied with it. I'm okay. I've learned how to cope. I've learned how to live life like this. And I'm Okay. I'm okay with feeling the way I feel. I'm not willing to challenge myself. I'm not willing to let God challenge me and God to move in areas of my life that would change that. I'm just okay. I'm satisfied. And in that moment, I believe that what we're doing is actually rejecting the joy. We're saying, God, I know that you could probably change this area of my life, but I really don't want you to. I reject you in this area. And God, help us not to do that. God, help us to not only just receive the joy but to embrace it um, and change. And I, and I know, listen, it seems that, have you met people who just like, they seem to love misery? misery? Like people just love it. Like, how, why would you want to stay in that state of, of your life? And you're like, I, and it just seems like they love misery. They, they love strife because they just keep creating strife for their life. It's like, man, they love strife. They love drama because they're always in the middle of drama. They keep rejecting the joy because they just love it. It seems like um, 
they can't, come, they can't even function if life is not out of control. Have you met people like that? It's like, man, life would be a lot easier for you if you would like get everything under control. And like, oh, I like it like this. They love it. I, I just, it just seems, it blows my mind that people that love strife because they, you know, they cause it and they reject joy because they don't know how to live with it. Did you hear what I just said? They reject it because they don't know how to live with it. They've never seen it in their lives. Maybe, maybe they didn't live in an environment was, where Christ was um, lived out in front of them. Maybe they didn't live in a home that accept Christ. Maybe they didn't go to church. Maybe, maybe, just maybe this morning, that it was just the way it was. They just didn't know how to live without the strife and without the problems. They didn't know how to live with joy. And so today, it is as though they were afraid of joy. And maybe you know some of those people. You're like, man, I don't, know. I don't know if they would be happy if they were happy. You know, if they really experienced great joy, the joy that's unspeakable, I don't know if they would be happy because that's not what they know. So let's just really, um, can I just maybe get down on your level just for a little bit longer this morning? Let me just be real with you. Maybe this morning the world rejects joy and rejects Christ for various reasons. There's a lot of reasons why the world and you and I today perhaps reject Christ. And maybe this morning, maybe it's because they just don't believe. Maybe it's today, they just don't believe that God did love us and God sent son. Maybe, maybe they believe that this is just like the, all the other fairy tales. And they absolutely reject God because God doesn't exist to them. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe the world today and a lot of your friends and our families that we are reaching out to, we want to reach out to, they're just in that moment in their life where they're like, I don't, I don't believe that God exists. So how can I accept something? How can I receive something? How can I embrace something that I don't even believe exists? And maybe that's where they're at. They just simply don't believe. And maybe, maybe today, maybe the world, some people who are rejecting the joy are those who blame God for the things that's happening in their life. Have you ever thought about that? Some of you guys have gone through some horrible things. Things that we have a hard time of even sharing the story. Some of the things that we hate to even want to relive by telling the story. And in those moments of our life when we were children, we say, God, we blame you. You're the reason. I reject you today because it was your fault. You did this to me. You gave me this lifestyle. You gave me my mom and dad who abused me. You... You did, you did this. God, I blame you. God, I, I blame you for the spouse that you gave me. I remember what that preacher said up there, who God put, what God put together, let no man put us under. And God, if you put this together, I blame you for how he treated me. I blame you. And maybe today the joy is being rejected because they blame God for the things that's happened. I, had a, I sat in front of a lady one time that's been many, many years ago, and we're sitting um, in this room, and, and um, she knew my story. I, I shared a, a couple of weeks ago, I shared a, a, just a, a glimpse, and as you continue to come, I'll give you a little more pieces to my life, but um, I said that when I was a child, when I was five years old, I was hurt by a male cousin, and um, this lady knew, uh, knew that, and uh, she was also hurt by someone in her family. And so we're sitting there talking about how do, we, how do we live life? And she was asking me, how do we live? How do I continue on? And she said this to me. She said, and she was very, she was so much blaming God for the things that's happened, that happened in her life from that scenario. And she said this, said this to me. She said, 
didn't God allow that? And I said, yes. God allowed the thing that happened to me, the thing that happened to you, that is horrible. Yes, God allowed it. But God never intended it. So please understand me. Maybe you did go through a rocky, rocky first marriage. I mean, it was rocky. It was horrible. God never intended for you to experience that abuse, that verbal or physical, whatever it may be. God never intended. Did God allow it? Sure, God allowed it. He had to. And the reason why I say that today, if God's all-powerful, when you really look at God's word, you find that God, God restricts himself because he's given you and I free will. He didn't make you robots. So he doesn't control your life. So he doesn't stop things. And when people's hearts are evil, guess what happened? Evil things happen. <laughs> Whoa, didn't think about that. When hearts are evil, evil things happen. So yes, God allows things to happen, but God never intends for bad things to happen. I promise you. Um, until the day I, I live, I hang on to that. God never intended for me to be hurt. He never intended for you to be hurt. He's never intended for those things, for your mom to walk out on you when you were a kid, for your father to leave you for drugs. He, he never intended that. Did it happen? It happened. But God never intended it. But our world today, and so many people, they reject Christ because they blame God. Like, I prayed for God to keep my mom and dad together, but they divorced, and so there must not be a God, and I blame him for everything. No, 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 no. It wasn't God that did that. So I want to tell you today, listen, I don't know where you stand today. I don't know if you're, you're here today and you say, you know what, I've accepted Christ, but there's areas in my life that I feel that I rejected him and I don't let him in to heal, to, 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 to mend, uh, to help me forgive, whatever it may be. God, I, I, re, I want to accept the joy that God is giving so that all the areas of my life can be mended I look at the story um, of God's word, and I love it. Listen, I need you to hear me. There are men throughout God's word that I see that has rejected Christ. And, and I'm telling you today that I believe that the joy is still being rejected from when Christ first came until now. Uh, in the Bible, we hear, this, this stage is squeaky. I'm sorry. It just got me attention. That's the squirrel in my life, all right? Um, so, um, but I want to give you the first one, Nicodemus. Maybe you remember the story. You can go home and read it, John chapter 3. And we find that Nicodemus comes by night, and uh, he, uh, he heard from his own lips. Jesus is speaking to him. He heard from Jesus' lips that God loved him so much. Remember, he accepted God. He just had a hard time believing in Jesus. And so we find that the fact that um, he knew that God loved him so much, and, and, but he still rejected Jesus. He still rejected joy. Now, I told you that I, I love for you to go home and watch The Chosen and continue to watch the series because I think Nicodemus in season one is an amazing character to watch play out in that storyline. And, and you can see the tour, um, the, 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 um, the struggle that he had within him because he wanted to believe in Jesus. He so badly wants to accept Jesus, but he struggled with his traditions, and he still struggled with what he had been taught. And in that moment, he continued to reject the joy. And in our lives today, we find a lot of Nicodemus. Um, they're still rejecting the joy. They're rejecting the areas of their life that need to be healed, but they're rejecting, God, I don't want you to do it right now. How about King Agrippa? 
Um, some of you may be the story, Paul's been arrested um, and he has the opportunity to stand before the king and, and to plead his case and to tell his story, to say, hey, I have a testimony and this is how God changed my life. And he's telling everything. And all of a sudden, we find in Acts chapter 26, verse 28 and 29, it says that a king Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Um, other versions in the New King James says that you almost persuaded me to be to believe, to be a Christian. We find that in this moment that, that Paul has to state his case that he heard what God had done. And even Paul even says, King Agrippa has watched everything play out in my life. He knows me inside and out. He has to be able to believe. And Paul, verse 29 says, he said, whether it be short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, a believer, except for this change. <laughs> listen to Paul. How nice. He's like, listen, I want everybody to accept Jesus and accept the joy, and I want everybody to be a believer, but I'd rather you not be in chains. I'm okay with being in chains and shackles and, and bound up and, and being persecuted, but I'd rather you not. But I want you to believe in Jesus. So what a great guy. Everybody was like, I want you to be like me. I want you to be as persecuted as I am, right? Um, but not, not Paul. I want you to be a believer, but I, I, I'd rather you not have to experience what I'm experiencing for Christ, is what he's saying. Um, and what, a, what an amazing two stories. And Nicodemus and Agrippa, both were still rejecting the joy. Here's point number two. That rejecting joy implies that one has no room for him. I told you that at the beginning, we took a snapshot of the Christmas story, and I wanted you to look at the, uh, the innkeeper, and I told you he gets a bad rap, and, and uh, we point a lot of fingers at him because we know the story, and we, know that, and we knew who, G, who Mary was carrying inside of her womb, uh, but he didn't. Um, and he makes a statement that there's no room. And I believe that still today in the world that we live in that we are still saying that there's no room. Now, ever since I can remember, I have always been preached to about commitment. Ever since I was a child, my parents preached to me about commitment. Um, ever since I was in school, my teachers preached to me about commitment, commitment to my grades, commitment to my life. Um, I remember Miss Warden teaching me about commitment. I, I remember my teachers explaining commitment to me. But I remember my coaches. Uh, my coaches always preached commitment to us as athletes or to players. And I remember, I think I was a freshman, and um, Kirk may remember this as well, and, and Theo, you may remember this, and, and some of those who uh, were there at that time. And I remember our high school football coach, Coach Hoff, I remember being in the locker room. As I want to say we were in the wrestling room, and, and um, he had the old whiteboard, and, and Coach Hoff put up an egg, um, and then he put some bacon on the side, and he asked a question. I'll never forget it. He looked at all of us. He said, there's... there's there's a mentality that we have to change around here. Um, and we have to change it as a team, and we have to change it as individuals. And he said, we need to be more committed. There's commitment. Commitment is going to take your time, but we need to be committed. And I remember him saying into the room, um, he looked, he put, like I said, the bacon and the eggs, and he said, hey, if we're going to have breakfast today, and our breakfast is consists of bacon and eggs, we're going to sit down, and we're going to have eggs, and we're going to have bacon. He said, uh, he said I'm going to ask you, who is more committed? The chicken or the pig? To our breakfast this morning. Me and you are going to have eggs and bacon. I'll never forget it. He drew it up there. He had the ugliest looking bacon and, and eggs up on the screen, on the whiteboard. And I, I remember him saying, I want to know who's more committed, the pig or the chicken. 
to your breakfast this morning. Who's more committed? Obviously, we know that the chicken lays an egg and still lives. Not a whole lot of commitment. Just lay an egg. I mean, the man wants breakfast. Go lay an egg. But the pig? The pig has to die. And there's a commitment level that's greater for the pig than the chicken. And I remember still today, I'm 44 years old, and I remember maybe because Coach Huff scared me, um, I remember him, I remember so much him trying to get to our, our attention what commitment was like. And I remember him saying that commitment was time. That if you're going to actually commit to something, you're going to have to be willing to give up your time. And I was like, I, I, I get it now. You see, I realized today my parents, my teachers, my coaches, when they preached to me about commitment, what they were saying, that I was going to have to put some time into what I was doing. Commitment takes our time and commitment takes discipline. And I remember this morning our reason for existence as a church, and we say this quite often around here, that we exist to lead people into a committed relationship. And I understand that leading is going to take time to help you to be committed. It's going to take our time and our effort to be a part of your life, and you're a part of our lives so that we can lead you into a committed relationship with Jesus Christ where you're passionate about loving God, doing good, being a friend. And I understand that to get you into that committed relationship is for you to be able to change your mentality that it's going to take my time. It's going to take effort. And it's going to take discipline this morning. And that is a part of accepting the joy. I think that the world has commitment issues, don't you? I mean, look at marriages today. Um, marriages don't last 22 years like Jenna and uh, Lance. Give Jenna and Lance a hand. Yesterday was 22 years of marriage. Woohoo! I think Jenna, like, she deserves uh, a badge of honor. I mean, listen, I know Lance. I wouldn't live with him for 22 years. I'm just saying. All right? I mean, marriages don't last. Just joking, Lance. Stay right there. Don't you leave. He's been trying to leave ever since we started this thing. <laughs> Listen, marriages don't last 22 years anymore because people have problems with commitment. Have you realized that people don't stay on the same job very long anymore? They don't. I mean, they change jobs. They change career paths because maybe they have issues with, with commitment. How about jobs? I mean, I, mean, I, I just said jobs. How about friendships? I looked down and saw jobs again. Friendships. I mean, listen, people don't have lifelong friends as some of you have. I mean, friends come and go. And we have commitment issues as well. I think that the issue is that we have caused ourselves to be so busy in life. I want you to hear me this morning. I think our issues with commitment is that we have caused ourselves to be so busy that at time that we feel like we have not enough time, not enough time to be involved in something, to commit to something. And so adding another something is going to take time, which means that you and I would have to give up something. So to add something to our life means we have to give up something. And my friends, that is a real struggle for every one of us. So when we say, hey, listen, when Coach Huff was saying, hey, guys, it's going to take commitment. You're going to have to be like the pigs. And we're like, we don't want to die. We're going to have to be committed that meant what he was saying to me is like, hey, you're going to have to come up here and you're going to have to work out and you're going to have to be committed to this sport. It's going to take your time. And today I think the world is rejecting Christ because they feel like it's too much 
of their time. We have no room for you in our marriage. We have no room for you in our careers. We have no room for you in our relationships. We have no room for you. We have no time. No room. Hey, I got 24 hours, God, and I need at least eight hours of sleep. That gives me 16 hours. I work for eight. The other eight, I, have, I just like to enjoy life. I got so much going on. I don't have room for you in my time schedule. Because remember, commitment equals time. I have to give time if I'm going to be committed to something. Commitment takes time. We have no room for Christ within our lives. We have no time for him. Our government, our government today, take a look at our government. Our government has no time, no room for God. Our government have forces our schools to have no room for God. See, we blame our school and, and all of our administrations for the things that our kids can't do in school. Can I just tell you, it's, their hands are tied. You may not realize that. You might want to point fingers. If we had a better this and a better that, we'll bring prayer back into school. Absolutely not. I will not advocate for prayer back into our schools. Like, oh, pastor, really? Absolutely not. Not in the world that we live in. Not with the government that we have. If we had prayer back in the school, guess what? We had to be praying to Buddha. We'd have to pray to Allah. We have to pray to every other God that someone else wants to create. Because we have to give everybody an opportunity. I am not going to advocate prayer back in the school until our government, our nation, changes. Their heart changes. They repent. And so we blame our administrators. We're like, oh, man, if we had this and had that. Listen, no, come on. Their hands are tied because our government has said there's no room for God within our schools. There's no room for them in our families. You look at your families today and you would say, they, I see that our families say there's no room. I mean, how many times have we stopped to just take in our families and, uh, and allow God to be a part of that? There just seems like there's no room any longer for, our, for God or for joy within our society. Matthew chapter 16, I want you to look at this real quickly. And we're closing. This is it. We're winding this thing down. The train is coming to a halt. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says this, And the disciples told, and then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, remember, we're talking about commitment, having room. You've got to have time to be committed. And some of us say we have no room, we have no time. And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone come after me, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, if you're going to Allow me to live in you and you in me. And let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What two powerful questions that has been asked today. Still asked today. What will profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits, forfeits his soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Listen, you may say I can't afford to give up any of my time to be committed to God, to accept God, joy, Jesus. And I would say to you today, you can't afford not to. praise and worship team comes to this morning I want to say this to you I want you to know I have this urgency within my spirit lately that 
I don't want to preach a gospel that just changes you to be good people. Everybody look up real quick. I love eyes. I don't want to, I want you to understand that, yes, the gospel changes us, and it changes us to be good people. I get it, because God is good, and we want to be like Christ, and I get it, and I, and I would love for me to get up here and say, listen, um, we want to, uh, you want to mend, mend your relationships with people? Accept Jesus. Uh, you, want, you want to be delivered from things? Accept Jesus. If you want this, absolutely, Jesus can do those things. You're tired of carrying around the bitterness and unforgiveness? Accept Jesus. Let Jesus work on you in that area. But here's the deal. It's really about a heaven and hell issue. Accepting Jesus means that we accept heaven. Rejecting Jesus, we reject heaven. There's more, more to more that we're gambling with tonight than just being a good person. I love good people. My wife and I, we set goals to raise good kids. I would go to teachers' conferences and they would pull out all of their stuff and they would show us what they did and how they're coloring inside the lines and how they know their ABCs and their one, two, threes and the Santa Claus that they colored and all these things and how they're doing in science and math and after they would give me their spiel for 15 minutes I would finally say okay I have a question for you does my son open the door is my daughter polite is my daughter kind does she care for people does my son say yes sir no sir and they would look at me like I've had no one ask me those questions And I would say to them, I want my kid to be educated. I want them to be smart. I want them to do well in life. But my goal is to raise good kids, godly kids. I want my kid to say yes, sir, no, sir. I want my kid, I want my son, my daughters, to see when someone is struggling with life to be able to reach out to them and help them. I want my kids to see someone in a wheelchair and instead of watching them struggle to get to the door that they would actually go and open the door for them so they can get in the door they would actually see someone that was struggling carrying their book bags because they're in um, what's those things called crutches that they would go and say hey can I help you with your bag today I want my son not to reject Christ I want him to accept Christ and so today I challenge you I challenge joy to the world God gave his son for the world not just for me, not just for you, not just so you can be good, but so that you can accept heaven. You can live with him and be with him. So today I say embrace it. Don't reject it. Embrace it. Embrace joy. Realize that joy is what truly changes your life. And I would challenge you today, make room for joy. Make room for Jesus. Don't get your life so busy that you don't have time for Jesus. Would you stand this morning? Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more messages or find a service time, you can visit us at our website, homechurchtecumsa.com, for more information. Thank you again. And until next time, love God, do good, and be a friend. Be blessed.